You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Steve is going to read our gospel text today and then we will get into the word of the Lord for the morning. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, uh, verses, uh, sorry, chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And he said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism for which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Jesus called to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Steve. So for the last four weeks, you know, God really, really has, this is funny, he's slowed me down quite literally and also spiritually, and it's a chance to sit back and take a ledger of like, where am I at spiritually, personally, and what do I need to do? You know, when you're, when you're a pastor, you're con- there's always the next thing. And so for, for four weeks, I didn't have a next thing. I, I was, because of the wonderful board of directors and leadership and church that you are, I, I had a chance for the first time in four and a half years to just cool the jets, heal uh, at the pace I needed to heal at, and, and clear my head and think. And the Holy Spirit early on asked me this question, and the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, when the Holy Spirit asks you a question, the Holy Spirit is telling you something mean, but asking you a question so it doesn't feel mean. And the Holy Spirit says to me, are you still moved or are you just motivated? Are you still moved or are you just motivated? And the question began to produce a, listen to me, progressive revelation in my life. So when the Holy Spirit tells you something on Monday, don't start telling people about it because he's not done. You, he needs to, he's only going to tell you as much as you can hear that day. If you're wondering, there is more he wants to tell you, no matter what the situation is. And then once you know the information, everybody realized our first temptation ever was we were tempted with knowledge. So information alone can be devastating. It needs to turn into character and it needs to marinate in your actual soul before you can speak it. If you're just speaking knowledge, we're eating at the wrong tree again. But when it sinks into your soul, it becomes life. This is why David says, David doesn't say, I'll make my mind boast in the Lord. That's easy. He says, I'll make my soul 
boast in the Lord. Because if it's only our mind doing the work, we will control God with our knowledge. But when our soul is moved, it moves to every single part of our being, and it moves through all of our relationships, and it changes us. So what's the difference between being moved and being motivated? When you're just motivated without being moved, you work hard, but you don't change. You're always the same. But when you're moved, you might slow down. You might miss a step, but you're changing. And as you change, the work you do will have a changing effect in it. The world can be motivated. We need to be melted and moved by the story of the gospel and the life of Jesus Christ. We need to be moved by it, changed by it, reformed by it. We can't just know it and be motivated. We have to be changed. And the Holy Spirit sent me into a life where the books are closed and it's all about multiple times of deep and entrenched prayer in my life right now. And so for this season, I feel a little different. I feel uh, a sense of depth with the Holy Spirit that I haven't felt in a very long time. And I want to speak from that. And I want to encourage you. It's not about gaining insights before it's about letting the Spirit live in you until you're moved. Insights don't matter. You're ready? Paul will even say it this way. Gifts of the Spirit don't matter if you have not love. That's why he says to pursue love and desire the spiritual gifts. But we have desired, we have, uh, we have, we have approached and, and went after the spiritual gifts and hopefully will begin to desire love. And that's not what he says. He says pursue love, desire the gifts. Don't pursue the gifts and desire love. So we need to be people who are moved at our heart, emotionally moved people. So what does it mean? What does it look like? And how does this story that Steve just read talk about people who are moved? I want to talk today about the difference between being moved or motivated. And the first thing I want to say is this. Moved people, moved people pursue Christ with baggage that is well folded. Pursue Christ with baggage that is well folded. Have you ever packed for vacation? Raise your hand. Is anybody fairly proud of the way they pack a suitcase before they go on vacation? Come on, somebody's arrogant in this room. I am. Has your bag looked the same when you came home from vacation? Karina, you're too good for everybody. It's discouraging. Paul's like, please, God. I love the baggage carousel when you get out of an airplane because I like looking at everybody's bags and trying to determine what kind of person they are. Am I judgmental? Yes. Is God not done with me yet? He's not. So, so, you know, you see that one bag where it looks like Tommy Boy packed and it's just like a garbage bag and you're sitting there like this is probably some like 38-year-old person who still lives at home and his house smells like Axe body spray and he's got a poster, a rip poster of Derek Jeter. And like the Foo Fighters up on his wall, like this kind of person. So Jacqueline and I are in Florida at the beginning of 2020 before COVID, before anybody judges us for flying. It was before. And we're in Florida, and I'm watching the baggage carousel go by. And a bag came out. It was a huge, clear plastic garbage bag with a broken suitcase in it. And I'm like, dah. And I'm just waiting to see who picks it up because I had in my head whose bag I thought it was. I'm like, it is definitely that guy's bag. Look at him. And then that guy takes his bag, 
then everybody takes their bag, and it's me standing there with Jacqueline, and she says, oh God, our bag broke. <laughs> and right away, I blamed Jacqueline. I'm like, this because you have so much stuff. I had to do like the people's elbow off the top rope just to shut the bag. I'm like, when I flop on it from the bed, the minute I land on it, you have to zip it before I roll off, then it will stay shut. But the problem is, it's not Jacqueline, it's me. Because when I go to Florida, I'm thinking to myself, well, if it's cool in the morning, I want to wear a nice thin slack with maybe a nice button-up shirt, get my coffee. But then if it's like really hot later, I want to have like a nice short sleeve button-up tucked into some like uh, khaki shorts with some deck shoes. And then if it gets cool again later at night or rains, because it rains in Florida all the time, I want to have like a nice pastel thin sweater that I could wear. And like, you know, so I, this is my fault. So now I'm carrying the bag like I carry Theo. I'm carrying the bag to the rent-a-car like this. And I remembered something that uh, Natasha and I talked about a long time ago where this is a different topic, but we talked about how later in life, when you go to date somebody later in life, you will not find somebody that doesn't have baggage later in life. The only thing you will find is somebody who has folded their baggage well or it's still a disaster. So just a quick sidebar to anybody who's dating, say, past the age of 35. You will only find people with baggage. See how they fold their baggage. They got mom issues, dad issues. Are they, is it folded or is it completely unorganized? Like That's what you're looking for. You're looking to see how they fold it. James and John go to Jesus. They pursue him, and all we do is rip them up in this story. But honestly, before we rip them up, realize Peter, James, and John always go to Jesus, always get it wrong, and yet they're the only three that Jesus ever brings with him when he's going to show them something special. Because Jesus is looking for people who will pursue him even with baggage, who will pursue him even if they're getting it wrong. Peter got it more wrong than any other disciple, and Jesus started the church on somebody who always gets it wrong and is always teachable at the same time. Jesus isn't looking for people who, have, who get it right all the time. He's looking for people who will throw what they have at him and let him work with it and be okay with him working with it. In this story, James and John are concerned with the mission of Christ. They're the ones who know you're going to enter your glory. It says it in the text. They are aware of the moment. This is just before Jesus goes to the cross. These disciples that we easily criticize for being arrogant, they're the ones who know you're about to enter your glory. They have discernment. They know that Jesus is going to have a position. They have discernment. They know that Jesus is going to have authority because they have discernment. They know that there's going to be a mission that they want to be a part of. And so they go to the Son of God, the creator of the universe, and have the audacity to say, we want you to do for us whatever we want. And Jesus says, what do you want? Because he always invites our misconceptions into his life so that he can sit with them, dine with them, and have a conversation with us. Most of us would have shut them down right then and there. You don't talk to me like that. I won't now, no matter what you say, I won't do it now because you said it that way. Come on, you've all been there before where somebody's asking for something right, but they asked the wrong way, and you're like, I'm not even trying to hear it now because you need to ask, say it better. Walk out of the room, come back and say it better. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, what do you want? I'm, now I'm really curious. And in another version of the story, they get their mom to go to Jesus. 
because they know that Jesus is most motivated by his own mother. Mary is the only person that Jesus will say no to, and then she'll say to do it anyway, and he'll turn water into wine. (laughs) Jesus respects his mom, and so they're like, maybe if we get our mom to go to him, he'll say yes, because he has a thing for mom. They have baggage. They say the wrong things, but their baggage, they're willing to bring it to Christ. You all got baggage. I have baggage. It needs to be brought to him. What did Jacqueline and I do? The next day, we went to Target and we bought new luggage. Why? Because we didn't, we didn't have less baggage. We needed something that was large enough to hold our baggage. Oh, see, this is a preaching point right now. But I'm trying to be conversational. And I can't really move. I could spin halfway. By the way, when this chair inevitably breaks, everybody's allowed to post it and send it around YouTube because it'll be, I just, I just want to trend. I don't care if it's for something embarrassing, I just want to trend, that's all. So if it snaps down, it'll be, it'll be a fun moment. Jesus doesn't want to remove your baggage before he makes your soul large enough to hold your baggage well. We always pray that he would take away the baggage. He doesn't want to take away the baggage. He wants to make you large enough to hold your baggage well. And that's why he brings up baptism to James and John. He looks at the ones who are passionate, the ones who are going after him, the ones who are willing to sign up for the Thursday night gala table and not hope that somebody else does it for them. I'm back. Like, <laughs> um, he, he says, okay, are you willing to be baptized? What do you mean baptized? We just said the right things. You didn't say the right things, but I want to take the wrong things you're saying and baptize them. You ready? It's not just our physical body that needs to have an encounter with Jesus. It is our wayward thoughts that also need to have an encounter with Jesus. When you walk in the building on a Sunday and you come in here and encounter the Spirit of God, it's not just about your hands and your feet and your voice encountering. It's about every wayward thought, every misguided notion, every mistake that you have is also encountering Him. He doesn't rid you of those things. He baptizes them and makes all things work together for good. This is what he does. The other disciples who won't go to Jesus because they're afraid of getting it wrong, they're all comfortable, and they're not passionate. They're grumpy cynics who are casting shade on the two, and they misunderstand things. Has anybody maybe seen a post or read a post or seen a conversation where somebody's misunderstood and the party that did the misunderstanding is convinced they're right and is getting angry for absolutely no reason? Let me say it this way. Is anybody married? <laughs> Everyone's afraid to say there. I mean, I know. I know. I know. I wouldn't have made that joke if Jacqueline was sitting right there. I'm safe from throwing distance at the moment. They're not pursuing him. One of the ways we know that our heart has grown, grown dull from pursuit is if all of a sudden we're taking shots more than giving it a shot. Peter, James, and John were always giving it a shot. The other disciples morphed into just taking shots. Angry at the notion that these two might be our authority one day. Well, what are you doing? 
You're mad that they might be the authority one day, but you didn't go to Jesus. You didn't ask him a question. You didn't know he was about to enter into his glory. You didn't know that he was going to sit on a throne. You didn't know that he was going to have a mission beyond whatever it was he was going to Jerusalem for. You didn't want to go to him at all. You didn't want to risk anything, but now that somebody else risks something, all of a sudden you're going to criticize them really because you're self-convicted and it's turning into outward jealousy. That's what's happening and both of those people are in the room right now. We got some of you in the room are very passionate and you're going after Christ and you're wrong with your information. And then other people are not wrong with their information, but they don't go after, you don't go after Christ anymore the way that you used to. You're not moved the way that you used to be. And what does Jesus do? Jesus talks to both groups because he will not let anyone be unchanged. So if you're the passionate group and you're always going after him and right now you're on fire for God in this season, please stay on fire, but understand some of your thoughts and opinions might need to be baptized. And if right now you feel that you've grown dull and you're one of the 10 that's just sitting back and you realize I've been judgy, I've been angry, I've been combative, I've had more arguments than I've actually had conversations, if that's you, please understand Jesus doesn't neglect you. He talks to all 12 disciples here. He invites the right and the wrong into his life, and he has a conversation with it. So he's not done with you. You're not great if you're passionate, and you're not lost if you're not. He's going to make everybody right. He's going to make us all right. But we want to be the people who are not just motivated, but moved. We want to be able to, to take our baggage and bring it to the Lord and let him sift through our dirty laundry and let him see the stuff that shouldn't be there and be okay with it. That should never stop for our entire life. We should always have the suitcase open. We should always let him go one by one through what is in there. He's going to clean what is in there. And he's going to give you the strength to carry the load that you've been given to carry in your life. For some of us, it's just and easy. For others, it's unjust. It's painful. It's abuse that we've carried. Jesus is always going to make your soul large enough to hold the baggage that your life has claimed. He always will. He never won't. He will always move you into space that can hold what you've been given, even if it's something you didn't want, even if it was forced into your life and now it's in your suitcase and you never wanted it there and if he didn't say that or do that to me, this, wouldn't, this, this suitcase would be 50 pounds lighter. Jesus will always give you the space and the grace to carry the load that you have in your life. But you got to pursue him and bring it to him. We can't just sit back and let everybody else do it because we'll become cynical, we'll cast shade, we'll take shots, we'll get angry. Go to him. It softens you. It wakes you up to yourself. You might be going through, this is slightly prophetic, you might be going through a season in your life where you feel lonely right now and it's hard to get up. Please understand, the, the, the season of loneliness is merely a season where God is introducing you to yourself. Loneliness is a season. No one should stay there, but no one should avoid it either. It's a highway. You have to pass through it. And as you're passing through it, it's a chance for Jesus to introduce you to yourself. And when you learn who you are, you learn who he is because you are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. 
one of the best, one of the reasons why we don't get to know Christ is because we're always trying to get to know Christ and we ignore ourselves. His DNA is in my life. His thoughts are in my thoughts. My body is one of his fingerprints. As you get to know Christ, you get to know yourself. As you get to know yourself, you get to know Christ. And it's uncomfortable to get to know ourselves because there's baggage. You might feel like your bag is the one on the carousel that you just want to pretend it's not yours and walk away and just go buy new clothes for the vacation. Almost did. It was like midnight. I'm like, oh God, this is not our bag. Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal, have mercy on us right now. The second point, moved people, listen, grab hold of and mitigate mistakes earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier each time. Salem, this is a life-giving point. You're not transformed when you have a streak of getting it right. It's like the grace is not like the keto diet where when you get it wrong once, you have to start the whole darn thing over again. It's not the whole 30. I thought this was funny. Is anybody on the keto diet? I'm sorry. You look good. I don't know who you are, but you look good. You look good. We have, we decide, okay, I'm going to work on my attitude. And we go seven, eight, nine days with a good attitude. And then all of a sudden we, we, we fail and it's miserable, and we think we're all the way back over again. That is not grace. Grace is not long streaks of getting it right. Grace is when you're getting it wrong, you realize it sooner and sooner and sooner and sooner into the wrongdoing, and you begin to mitigate the mistake quicker and quicker and quicker each time. That's grace. Grace isn't an after-the-fact reality. Too many of us realize we were wrong after the fact. When we, start, when we can start to realize at the point of attack, I'm beginning to get nasty. I'm beginning to get rude. I'm beginning to get judgmental. That thought better not come out of my mouth. Okay, it came out of my mouth. But the second one, you're not going to come out of my mouth. Like when we can start to do that, we're getting closer and closer to real sanctification. But the devil wants to discourage you the minute you start to get something wrong. Because he doesn't win when you get something wrong. He wins the minute you think you'll never be able to get it right again. He wants you to think he wins when you get it wrong. But what he really wants you to think is you can't get it right. And there's no more discouraging moment. You bring, I'm just going to hypothetically say, you bring home a newborn baby. Hypothetically. And you say, I'm going to be a better man. Every all-for-one song from the 90s was in my head. I will try to be a better man. That's one of their deep tracks. So. Oh, boy. I miss this. Yes. And you say, I'm going to be nice. Which is sad to have to have a newborn to say that. But some of us, we're trying. And all of a sudden... In the middle of the night, he won't stop crying. You're like, I'm going to be nice. And then your wife is upset because she's in pain still, and she's got to get up because she has become food. For the, she, like Jacqueline has turned into the Eucharist. Her body is food for Theo, right? Like she is food 
True food and true drink is Jacqueline. And you can't help, so now you're getting annoyed. And if you're a man, you understand this. When you want to help your wife and you can't, for some reason, you actually start to get mad at her, which is not fair, but it's the way it works. And then, as you're battling that, and you're fighting off the devil, and you're dodging, we even hit him with a couple uppercuts, like kind of like Tyson Fury, just like trying to like knock him out. All of a sudden, your five-year-old walks in and says, I'm up. <laughs> and you're just like, I can't stand any of you. And right there, Satan wants you to think it's over there. Grace starts there. It starts there. He wants you to think you, you failed grace, and that's why that happened. Grace starts the minute you make a mistake. And grace says, can you stop it now? No. Can you stop it now? Shut up, Bill. Can you stop it now? That, it's, it's about mitigating and being able to change your opinion and your tone and your temperature in the moment. James and John say to Jesus, we want to be in authority. And then the rest of the disciples get mad because all 12 have a view of authority that's top-down, command-oriented authority. They think Jesus is going to be the true and better Caiaphas, the true and better Herod, the true and better Caesar, when in reality, that view of authority should not ever exist in the church or in Christianity. Authority in Christianity is a bottom-up authority. Jesus is the head of the church, and where is that head? Always at your feet washing them. We talk about umbrellas of authority. That umbrella is at the bottom because Jesus is always down there washing feet. He's always down there praying. He's the hem of his garment at the bottom is where the anointing is. That's where he goes. And that's what authority in the kingdom looks like. It doesn't look like how does my, how do my, how does my family troop respond when I get home. That's Gentile non-covenanted authority. Kingdom authority is how is my family reformed as I serve them at a cost to myself? That's what kingdom authority is. See, we want to take earthly authority and clean it up so we can have it but make it Christian because we want to have our cake and eat it too. Got to get rid of that whole notion of authority. Authority rooted in position. Authority rooted in power. Authority rooted in coercion. It's authority rooted in a cross and a towel and a basin with the sheep poop, whew, that was a gamble to say that. The sheep poop, <laughs> almost, on that towel that he's rinsing off in that basin because the master of the universe, he's the head of the church and he's down at my feet. We say we're coming to Sunday service. Do you know why we say we're coming to Sunday service? Because we show up and he serves us. That's why it's called a service. We sit there and say, you got to serve him, you got to serve him, you got to serve him. What does he say? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So James and John and the other ten, they have to pivot in the moment and realize if we're really going to be, if we're motivated, we will push our view of authority through. If we're moved, we will change our opinion in the moment. Are you formable or are you fossilized? Are you able to be formed now in the moment or are you really the imprint of the first opinion you had 20 years ago and you're determined never to change? Are you formable or are you a fossil? Are you just trying to preserve the first thing that ever made sense to you? 
Are you basing God's future blessings off of things he's done in the past? Are you fossilizing and don't even realize it? Are you willing in the moment with the pride swelling out of control to say in the moment, you know what, Jacqueline? I'm sorry, I'm tired, I'm agitated, and this is actually misguided anger because I wish I could help you and I can't, and so I'm, I'm taking it out on you, which is ironically stupid, but that's what's happening. I'm really sorry. What can I do now to try to bring the tension down here? Nobody likes to do that. No one. You, you can look at the debates people are having. Have you even seen a debate recently where somebody made a point and the other person was like, oh yeah, that's good. I've changed my mind. No! It doesn't happen ever. It should be different in this room. People that leave a sanctuary like this, we should be people who can change our minds. And not just hold on. And not get fossilized. But be moved by the Spirit of God. If you have your Bibles or phones, go to Acts chapter 7. Bill Bernasconi, Dan K. Ron, people got some Bibles in here. If you have a Bible, can you hold it up for a second? If you actually have a... (gasps) Praise the name of Jesus. Darkness is not dark to you, O Lord. The light is as bright as the day. Evening and morning to you are both alike. Chapter 7, starting verse 54. Stephen just preached one of the greatest sermons in the entire New Testament. And here's how the people who heard the sermon respond. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So he's preaching to them. They aren't changing at all. But he's being moved by the Holy Spirit. And he's not being enraged at their rage. But they cried out with a loud voice. Everybody say loud voice. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. La, 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 la. That's what they were doing. And rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Impenetrable people. People who when they hear something that should move them yell louder so they don't have to hear it. They stop their ears, but as they're getting enraged at him, he's not stopping his ears. He's hearing their rage, and he's quoting Jesus on the cross. He says later on in that text, Father, forgive them. As he's dying, he prays for their forgiveness. He's being melted and moved by Jesus in the moment. Are they treating him unfair? Yes. Are they wrong? Yes. Is he right? Yes. Is he capitalizing on that rightness? No. He's moved by Christ and he's praying for them. They are stopping up their ears, yelling louder, having better arguments, sending more videos. They read more articles. They did their research. All of these things that people say all of the time, they're just throwing it at him. And one man is there holding their coat. And Saul is not stopping up his ears. His name isn't Saul for very long. Because something in that man heard that sermon. Didn't change right away, but started to mitigate the wrong. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And when he sees Jesus, he says, 
Lord. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting? He says, Saul, Saul. And Saul says, yes, Lord. Something was already affected in his life. So that when the light from heaven shone, he already knew who it was, even though he was persecuting him. Do you see this? Moved people change. They're not fossils. They change. They can change in the moment. His whole reputation, everything he knew, everything he stood on, everything that he said that was right, he walked away from all of it, reevaluated it, didn't give up his Judaism, but saw its fulfillment in the person of Jesus and changed his ways. In the moment, can, he did that with his whole life. Can we do it in an argument? Can we do it at a red light? No. <laughs> we cannot. I don't know. Can we do it when there's too much salt in our house's water? I'm sorry, too soon. I love you so much, man. When the bills are coming in, when the taxes went up, thank you, Fishgill. Can we do it then? Can we change? Can we be moved by Christ? Not just motivation says, I'm going to get it right today. I'm going to be right for Jesus. That never works. Movement says, something in me needs to be melted by the warmth of your love right now. Otherwise, I can't do this. And for that, you need prayer. Time with him in silence to let him wash over you. To let him speak into the darkness. He could have created all of creation in one day. He did it in seven to show you that he doesn't want to do everything he's going to do for you on Monday. He wants to do it all week long. Come on, Salem. We hear a good word on Monday and think that's everything, and we walk away from a partial word because Jesus is like, I want you to come back tomorrow. Finally, so point one is pursuing with our baggage well-folded. Just, God, don't remove my baggage. Just help me fold it. Put me in a container that's large enough to hold it. The next thing is, help me to grab hold of and mitigate my mistakes as they're happening earlier and earlier each time. Salem, please don't leave here thinking, we're going to, oh, that was a good word. We're going to get this right. No. Just get it wrong for a shorter amount of time this week. If you normally get it wrong for a whole day, get it wrong for like 23 and a half hours. Work cultivate remember endurance life inside the edges like cultivate and then finally mm, this is good it's good i wrote it it's good this is a good one <laughs> offer your experiences on a table not in a slingshot natalie we talked about this have a catch remember instead of play dodgeball do you remember i hope you remember i know you remember we're talking about how you have conversations in a marriage. And we talked about how there's two ways that you can have them. You can play dodgeball, where you throw your words at somebody, and you're trying to hit them in the face, and the other person's trying not to get hit. Dodge, duck, dive, dodge and dodge. What, I don't remember what it is. I don't watch those secular shows, Ian. What is it? Dip. And he says dodge twice, right? That's awesome. Um, that's how we play with our words. We slingshot them at each other. Listen, Jesus doesn't want us being David throwing rocks at Goliath. Jesus wants us being the good shepherd asking Goliath to sit down at a table with us. We tell our kids not to throw things. 
David, it was good that he killed Goliath. It was bad how he did it. You don't throw, Jesus is the rock, right? Come on, listen, follow me. Is Jesus the rock? Is it good to throw Jesus at people and try to pelt them in the face? Has that ever worked for anybody? No. And then how did David actually kill Goliath? Trivia question. Was it with the stone? No, it was with whose sword? Isn't it funny that when we use violence, we end up using the enemy's own weapons? The thing that we were afraid of, we now use? Oh, come on, man. Peter in the garden, Jesus is like, can you stop doing this? Do you know that the root word of Gethsemane is the word Gath, where Goliath was from? So in Gethsemane, Peter starts to act like David, and the son of David says, this is no longer how we do it. Put your slingshot away. You don't use your words like the game of dodgeball. You shouldn't have to dodge somebody's words, and you shouldn't be throwing them at somebody so hard they need to dodge. It's about having a catch. One of my old friends from Allstate used to say, I like playing pass, which I never understood that phrase, and I think he's weird for saying it. But he, also, he played Frisbee. Like, who does that anymore? <laughs> have a catch. Toss your words to each other in a way that they can catch and receive them. Hold it for a moment. Get a grip on it. And then throw back yours and have a catch. Share your experiences. Peter, James, and John, and, and the uh, other nine, they change. Their life ends within 75 years of that moment because they all go to death to show the authority of Christ, ultimately in serving the church to the point of their own death. They follow Jesus in his footsteps. Not one of the disciples wasn't martyred. Every one of them was baptized with the baptism that Jesus was baptized with. Every one of them loved not their life unto death. Every one of them is the people that the book of Hebrews talks about as we are unworthy of them because they followed him all the way to his true throne, the grave, and resurrection on the other side. As we change, have you, ever, have you ever said to somebody before, hey, I think you should do this, and then they say back, well, you didn't do that in your life. Anybody ever have that experience before, maybe with a kid? You shouldn't, you shouldn't spend your money like that. Well, you and dad did. All right, dummy, well, here's the thing. We did, and it didn't work, so go ahead. <laughs> you know, like, that excuse is ridiculous. Like, hey, I know you're heading upstate New York. I'm on Route 87. There's a huge traffic jam. Don't take Route 87. Well, you did, so I'm gonna. Okay. Then be stuck in traffic. You didn't have to do that. But we throw our experiences at people. Invite them to a table. Notice that the people in the Acts text they cried out with a loud voice. But watch this. Jesus also cries out with a loud voice himself. At Lazarus' tomb, Jesus cries out with a loud voice. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. There's a way to yell that shuts other people down and it drowns out their voice. And there's another way to cry out that calls their voice back. They yelled at Stephen in a way that drowned out Stephen's words. Jesus yells at us in a way that draws life out of us. And what's the difference? He dies for us. And that's why his yelling can call life out of us. Let's stand to our feet this morning.
Ian, you don't have to worry about this. And I'm going to be hoping I can find it. Exodus 16. I'm getting there. John, play something, please. Ah, yes. Exodus 16. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Listen. In the evening you will know, but in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. In the evening you'll know, but in the morning you'll see his glory. On Good Friday you'll know that you were delivered, but on Easter Sunday morning you will see the glory of God. But watch this. In evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was, because we never understand glory the first time we see it. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. He says to Moses, in the morning they will see my glory. And what did they see in the morning? Bread. So his glory was this bread on the ground that they break and that they eat. His glory is something that is shared. His glory is something that is digestible. His glory is something that he gives to us to consume into our own bodies. We don't want glory to be that way. We want glory to be something that shows everybody how amazing we are. We don't want glory to be us offering ourselves to the world as food. But when we're moved by God and not just motivated by him, we don't hurl our experiences at people like stones in a sling. We offer them our table and we put our experiences down on the table as food. Share what God has done in our life. Share our testimony to our friends and maybe even to our enemies that are becoming friends. Dan, can you hand me the, the chalice on the cup? If you spill Jesus, you know where you go. I have a lot of wafers in the dish today because I want to give us the opportunity to actually come and receive the bread. If you want to, you can come and I'll put the bread in your hand today. If you don't want to, you can have the cup that you have in your hand. It's perfectly fine. But I just felt in my spirit like I just wanted to start to open up the possibility again for us to come and receive. We're not going to receive the juice. That actually might be wine in there right now. We're not going to receive this right now because of COVID, but it is okay to receive the body. So if you want to, after we pray, the worship team is going to sing while we do communion, and you can come. If you're on this side of the room, you can come this way. If you're on this side of the room, you can come this way, and I'll put this back in your hand again. But understand, this is the glory of God. This, the cup you're holding in your hand right now is the glory of God. This is the glory of God, Salem. 
the bread that he leaves us still on the floor of the wilderness. Our life is no longer in Egypt, but heaven is not completely here yet. We're in the wilderness, and this is the manna that is on the ground for us to eat right now. But it's not impressive. That's, what, that's the whole point. If it was about being impressive, we could be motivated, but we have to be moved. Jesus becomes bread for us every Sunday so that his brokenness can heal our brokenness, not so that his attitude can scare us into behaving, but so that his brokenness can touch mine and heal it, so that our brokenness can touch the brokenness of the world and heal it. On the night when he was betrayed, our Lord took bread, and when he had given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, eat this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this cup, drink it in remembrance of me. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend on this bread and this cup and make it for your people, the manna in the wilderness, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And sanctify us right now. Forgive us of our sins. We will take a moment. If anybody knows right now that you're walking in something that you need to mitigate and slow down, take a moment right now. The grace of God is sufficient for you this morning. You're not a failure because of what you're failing in. You are more than a conqueror, not because you're going to get it right, but because you're going to mitigate it today. Your sin has a shelf life. It will not last forever. Our job is to just take it back a step today. Father God, I pray that you sanctify the people of Salem. Give them the grace to expand their soul to hold the baggage. To not be discouraged if they make a mistake, but to be encouraged that they can make one less. Move that sin back a little bit. Change the dial. Pull that shadow in just a little bit more. We're not the summation of our sin. We are the body of Christ because of you, Father God. And so I pray that as we feed on this meal, this glory that falls for us every Sunday, I pray that we would go out and turn our experiences into food for our spouses, our friends, our children, our coworkers, the life of the world. I pray that they would feed not off of our self-righteousness, but off of our sin-becoming righteousness. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. You can partake with me in your seats. If you want to come forward, you can come forward and receive the body with me. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.